If you uh, happen to have any social media connections, some of the uh, some of the streams that come through will be people that say like, you need to get folks around you that's going places. If if you want to go after something, get people around you that are going after something. You you join with folks that are focused, and you get focused, and you go together. So this brother that I'm bringing up today, uh, he's one that has grown me and stretched me. Uh, he's in my life as a blessing, but but he real smart, y'all. This brother's really smart, and and he helps me to do some some God chin ups to to make sure that my intellectual side of God is wrestling with the servant side of God, and and it's cool because sometimes he has things says things just like easy that flow off him but later I'm like I gotta go look that up but it's cool when you don't get a person who God uses their mind and they become arrogant right this brother is humble loves the Lord serves the Lord loves his family and I'm honored to welcome my brother friend and pastor Ken to come forward and Encourage us in God's word. Will you join me in welcoming him? Allow me to pray for him, y'all. Lord, I thank you for my friend. I thank you, Lord. Even greater than our friendship is your love for him. And I'm honored that he would allow us to be blessed by how you have worked in his life and allowed your word to speak to him. But now, Lord, let your word speak through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to see you, Mac Ave. It is such a joy to be uh, with you all. And uh, I think I might have asked Pastor Leon, I said, now, you, you, you sure you want me to come the first Sunday off of your sabbatical? Because <laughs> I think they'll be itching for some Stevenson. All right, so... Uh, but, uh, but it's such a privilege to be here with you all again. My name is Ken Keen, and uh, I'm so glad to, uh, typically about once a year we make our way over the here since the last three or four years, and it's uh, one of the great privileges of my life. I want to say hello to Sister Rebecca. I think I've seen her back there. Yes, she is. God bless you all, and so good to meet Pastor Kevin and uh, him and, uh, and, and ooh, a little baby there. I'll be on my way. I'll be on my way after. So, uh, <laughs> so, and I want to acknowledge my wife and my three of my sons, uh, Rachel, Zion, Ezra, and Noah. And uh, bless you all. I hope as you head back to school or if you've already headed back to school, may this be just a rich, rich year for each of you as families. Um, you know, it'll, it'll have its challenges. But may the Lord just uh, bless and through Jesus Christ, blessing upon blessing. Amen. And uh, to all who are online, uh, blessing to you as well. Just want to thank God for each one. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. And we're going to be reading from verses 17. And I want to actually stop at verse 27. Mark chapter 10, and I'm reading from the ESV, and it says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And this next verse is sort of a, the core, core verse for me. We'll read past it, but. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him 
and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened. Everybody say disheartened. Disheartened, disheartened by the saying. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God, if I can just rephrase that. How difficult it is, just period, you know. <laughs> you got wealth or not, all right, you know. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished. And he said to, the, uh, and said to him, well, then who, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it isn't possible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise be to God. God, we just praise you and thank you for this opportunity. I've been prayed for and I just want to pray over us. Lord, uh, we, we just thank you for speaking to us in the first place, for coming to us. Most of all, and uh, Lord God, you still come to us, though you have come in your one and only sense in the incarnation, you yet come to us by your spirit, by sending another comforter, by sending your word to heal us and to save us. So do so among us today. It's not by might nor by power. It's not by any human being or human lips or human effort. But it is always by your grace, and so we just ask you to be at, to work mightily. Bless, continue to bless Mac Ave. Thank you for what you have done in this place and in this people. And we just ask that today would be uh, one more contribution to the faith of your people. We ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. The name of my message is, What Does Jesus' Love Look Like? What, what does Jesus' love uh, look like? Have you ever misinterpreted somebody else's love? Don't, don't, don't tell me. We'll talk later. Uh, it's very personal, and, uh, but I would find it very interesting. All right, so uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to share that. But um, uh, I was looking up old TV and movie tropes, and I think you've got to be of a certain age. But, uh, you know, a trope is like something that's done over and over again. Uh, like a literary thing, and people keep repeating it. So uh, one of them was, at least I remember this back in the 70s, one of them was, oh, I should stand, I didn't stand like, uh, can I move? Can I move? Yeah, the camera moves. All right, so. So, uh, but uh, one of them was the man and woman running toward each other in a meadow trope. I don't know if everybody remember these. Man and woman running in slow motion toward each other in a meadow. And it goes something like this. Uh, and then switch. Uh, and back to her. Uh, uh, and back over to him. And so uh, a couple times, you know, a comedy would play off of this. And as opposed to the two people ending up in an embrace, the woman would run past the guy just as he was closing his eyes to hold her. And, you know, it's like she runs over to some car she loves, like in a Chevy commercial or something like that. Or, you know, so the man and woman running toward each other in a meadow. Trope. All right? So uh, <laughs> sometimes we, uh, you know, uh, misinterpret love or uh, think we know what it is or think we see it, know it when we see it. And um, we don't always. And, you know, I think that when we even think about Jesus' love for us, sometimes we uh, misinterpret that. Like, what is his love? 
Uh, often we kind of have a grid of what the love of Jesus is. And it can hurt when he doesn't seem to fit that description of love. It can be kind of disappointing many times, if we'll be honest. Like, I didn't think Jesus would blah, blah, blah. I didn't think Jesus would allow this, that, and that, and this. So I'm hoping as we look at this passage today that perhaps we can get just a little further insight. Love is always a journey, isn't it? My wife and I reached 30 years this year in May. Of, uh, oh, yes. Okay, go ahead. I was going to tell you, don't, don't, you don't have to clap, but you should. All right. You should definitely clap for her because she has, uh, it's, it's, it's been fun for me, but uh, she, she, she's had a lot of work to do. All right, so uh, in, uh, in dealing with her brother. But uh, it, it's been a wonderful uh, time, but, you know, we're still, you're always growing. I mean, after 30 years, you think you figured it out? You figured a lot of stuff out, (laughs) but far from everything. And so, uh, you know, we often uh, maybe think of love as maybe being made much of or being given a lot of attention or, uh, you know, being admired above everyone else. And you know what? There's some truth to each of those. But I want to look at a few things about Christ's love. I was about to name this the unusual love of Christ. But in verse 21, if I can just go back to that for a minute, as Jesus meets this man, it says that he looks at him. We'll come back to this in more detail. He looks at him. That word for looking at him is the same word that was used for when Jesus, I don't know if you remember this in Luke, he looked right at Peter after Jesus's after Peter's third denial of him. It says he was in chains, and Peter denied him for the third time, and the cock rooster crow, and the Bible says that Jesus looked right at him, Game of Thrones style. And uh, he, he looked right at him, and Peter began to weep and went out uh, from the hallway. He gazed at him. It means to consider someone deeply. It means to look at someone very intently. He gazed at him directly. It means to look at someone directly. And he gazes at him, and he loved him. So everything we talk about today, I want us to understand, is in the context. By the way, Mark is the only one that records that. Of the four, this is a story in three of the four Gospels. And Mark is the only one that records the idea that Jesus did everything he did in the context of loving the man. I think we can make that assumption, but he is loving this brother. How does he love him? Uh, and, and, oh, let me add this. This is also the first mention of Jesus loving someone in the Gospel of Mark account. It's the first time in the Mark, the Mark narrative where it's mentioned that Jesus loved someone. Now, you know, we, we know he does, but, you know, that should stand out to us. Like, Mark is kind of like, he loved his brother. And he chooses this unique word in his, in his uh, narrative to strike, to strike us as, litner, as listeners. It's to be noted. It's to be paradigm setting. He loved his brother. And, uh, but uh, how so? How did he love him? Let's, uh, let's begin to look at this a little more closely. You know, we go back to verse 17 and... Uh, it says that this fellow was an interesting dude. He, uh, y'all, he was, uh, we have it, if you kind of pull together the Gospels, he's often called the rich young ruler. So we don't have ruler here in Mark. We get that from one of the other Gospels. You do get the sense that he's wealthy. All right, you picked that up, haven't you? All right, we'll get back to that. And he's young. So this, this is the kind of guy that, you know, he's on the cover of magazines you know, uh, Jet and Ebony, okay? Showing my age, are those still published? All right, so, uh, Black Enterprise. I think that's still out. All right, so, uh, the Michigan Chronicle. There we go. All right, so, uh, he's on, I mean, this guy is just, he just, he just got it. He got it, uh, we used to say, he got it going on. 
And uh, but it's very interesting. He he's uh, apparently been observing Jesus to some level and he is struck by him. You know, other people have often struck by him, but he's struck by Jesus and he comes to inquire of Jesus. And he starts off with this phrase, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm not sure why the British came out of me there. <laughs> Felt good. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. And Jesus said to him, and what, hey, 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 if I can put it this way, look here, cuz, why you call me good? What's good, cuz? All right, that's a... That's a all right, so uh, look, uh, it's interesting. He loved this man so much that he wouldn't trifle with him. He wouldn't trifle with him. Let's say that you know Jesus had a sense of humor. I believe that. I even think this camel through eye of a needle here is 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 is, is a very serious joke. It's kind of a joke, but it's also very serious. All right, but uh, he he comes up to him, and uh, you know. Why do you call him good teacher? Well, that's a good question. We don't know. Now, it, it, it could have just been like a, like a, man, I never met nobody like you. Like, man, good, good teacher. You know, boy, you are excellent. My goodness, you're insightful. Good teacher. Well, I tell you, you stand out among the crowd. Oh, my, my, my gosh, good teacher. It might have just been like a, you know, a, a figure of speech, a, in his mind, maybe a politeness. But for some reason, Jesus snatches his words. You ever, do, you ever, do you enjoy when somebody snatches your words? You know, kind of takes things with what you, I, I didn't mean it quite like that. I was just saying good teacher, all right? <laughs> like, you might want to lay up, you might want to back, you know, just kind of, uh, just, just, you know, hold up. Uh, I was trying to pay you, a, a, I don't know how, what, he, what he meant. But for whatever, whatever reason, in his love, Jesus snatches his words. Like, hey, why, why'd you call me good right there? Now, this, this fellow's his, his question, he, he, look, what's this? Here's another thing about this fellow. He's serious. He's very serious about spiritual things. You know, there's no indication here that he's, uh, he's insincere, he's a joker, he's, he's playing around. Uh, He's, he's asking very serious questions. He kneels before Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of positive places in the, in the Gospel of Mark where people knelt before Jesus, and it's really seen as a positive. The woman with the issue of blood knelt before him. The, the demoniac uh, knelt before him. Uh, uh, Jairus, uh, who came for his daughter, he knelt before him. It's, it's, that's a, it's, a, it's a big deal in the Gospel of Mark, and normally it's held out to be something that's like, now this is some real genuine faith here, but this fella kneels, and he asks important questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's another thing. I hate to keep mentioning these, but it's kind of, most scholars feel it's kind of important. First time in the Gospel of Mark, he mentions eternal life. You say, no way. Everybody say, no way. No way. I'm glad you said that. All right, that was a, I appreciate, I take that as a challenge. All right, so, uh, no, it's true. You know, you think of eternal life as mentioned all the time. It is like in John and some other places. But in Mark, this is the first time. First time. So, it, again, it's, it's a unique occurrence. It's, in fact, let me add this. It's only one of two times. It's only mentioned in Mark twice. So the conversation about eternal life in Mark is uh, it's, it's a rare one, and therefore when it happens... It's, it's, it's to be noted. It's to be noted. But he, he uh, if I can put it this way, saints, Jesus is, loves this man too much to trifle with him, and he loves him too much not to, at least at times, get to discussions about his eternal welfare, about the state of his soul. He's addressing him. He's, he's He's, he's kind of coming out of the usual triteness of speech. He's, he's, uh, he's pausing on his words, and he's like, what, no, why'd you, 
Why'd you say that? What did you mean by that? Sometimes it's not appreciated when, when, when the discussion may need to go that way. But every now and then, a discussion may need to go that way. Um, you know, I've noticed that in the body of Christ, we might sometimes take the time, you know, to challenge one another, uh, to point out certain habits of thinking. You ever noticed how, I mean, by the way, let me just add this. I need to start with me before I go point out your habits of thinking. I need to, I need to work hard to point out my own habits of thinking and, and interpreting scripture before I, before I go looking at the, the speck in, in your eye. Hopefully I'm, I'll, uh, I'll spend a lot of energy getting the, the plank out of my own eye. Another Jesus joke, by the way. That was a funny one. All right, so uh, my man's got something in his eye. You know, kind of swinging like that, you know, and everybody kind of like. <laughs> and, and he's like, hey, 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 man, let me get, let me get that speck out of you. And, and, you know, getting a speck out, that's a, that's a delicate procedure. And he, he can't even look at him straight. All right, so <laughs> let me. So, uh, so it's like, uh, no, nah, dog, you ain't touching my eye. All right, about his eternal, his, his, his eternal welfare. Uh, you know, speaking about issues like, well, heaven, hell, the kingdom of God, you know, uh, repentance, um, examined faith. Um, you know, is, uh, look, y'all, here's kind of his, his a raw truth. If you're a believer, you are in spiritual warfare. You are in a spiritual battle. It doesn't mean that every day of the week you're in this high, this high point of angst, uh, but we should never undersell the fact that all of us are in a place of, of intensity, of intense spiritual life, and we need one another's support, and we need the word of God spoken to, to each other. And so, so do that to me, to one another, with each other. Pray for one another, as we did today. I'm so thankful every time I come here for the time spent in prayer for each other. He looked at him, and he loved him. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis said this, God has infinite attention to spare. For each of us, you are as much alone with him as if you were the only being he ever created. God has infinite attention for each of us. You know, why am I saying that? You shouldn't be surprised at times. And really, you should kind of remind yourself, though God cares about us corporately and, and often refers to us corporately. But never feel like you're lost in some shuffle with Christ, lost in some crowd. Uh, like when the woman with the issue of blood touched his garment, it was like the rest of the crowd just went, just went quiet in Jesus' ears, you know? <laughs> so he was like, Who somebody touch me. Somebody here touch me. And the, and the disciples were like, everybody touch me. No, 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 no. Just don't talk right now, guys. You know, he uh, got uh, one, one, one description of love is indeed, saints, one description of love is indeed divine attention. Divine attention. And, but, you know, something, sometimes divine attention is something, even we as believers, we may relish it, and then sometimes we're a little, we're a little sheepish of it. <laughs> Every now and then you may not want as much divine attention. Uh, not an option, though. The Lord is very, he's very good, he's polite, he may not always feel like he's giving, you know, he's not always like just on top of you, but um, he is looking at you. He is looking at us. He is loving us. And he is speaking to us. Amen? And so, he, he says, hey, 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 my brother, precious one, why do you, why do you 
call me good. Why do you call me good? Um, only God is good. You know that, right? You know, uh, why would he do this? Maybe this brother did have some conceptual problems about, about this topic. You know, I don't know. I can't tell. But maybe it was something like, maybe there are some good people out there. You know, some are good, some are evil. You ever thought like, I mean, don't, don't raise your hand. But you ever thought of categorize people that way? There's the good people and there's the bad people. And I understand that. I can, I can understand thinking that way. But you know what? The Bible often gets back to this. There is none good. At a certain level, there's none good, no, not one. If you want to look with me super quick at Romans chapter 3. Romans third chapter. And Paul here is, uh, is actually taking three chapters to prove the point <laughs> that all are sinful. That kinda, that's, a, that's a theological point in itself, isn't it? He takes three chapters to prove the sinfulness of all people. That must mean we need some convincing about this. Romans 3.9. What then? So he comes to a point of conclusion. Are we Jews any better off, that is, than the Gentiles? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentile alike, I just added that word, are under sin. As it is written, and he quotes about seven different scriptures, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So that's, these are some amazing statements. <clears throat> no one does good. You know, lots of times when we hear scriptures like this, and this is, this is a description of our human sinfulness, or sometimes it's called our human depravity. But sometimes in scripture, uh, you can hear Jesus anticipating. That fellow's cute right there. I'm sorry, I just got distracted. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's all right. So that's a cute fellow. We got some cute babies in this church. I'm just looking at the kids and, uh, okay, all right, I'm, I'm back, I'm focused. Now, uh, but uh, we, we, we miss babies, all right, so uh, we love our kids, uh, but we, we, we like some little babies again. Now, uh, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Uh, you know, Jesus in a couple places, he just kind of threw it out there, like once when he was talking about prayer, and he said, now, why would you think that your father would give you a, a, a rock when you ask for some bread? Or why would you think that he would, he would give you a serpent when you ask for an egg? I mean, you won't even do that, even though you're evil. Like, I'm sorry, Jesus, could you just repeat that? You just said that and just went on. Uh, you just kind of slipped that in there and just kind of kept your sentence going. And let's just back up one, one second. Did you just say I was evil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that even though you pays your bills and you ain't, you ain't never cheated on your taxes and you've been with your spouse for 20-something years and you've worked your job faithfully every day and never late, that you're still evil. So I, I, I'm sorry. I said, I just, I, yeah, I did say it. I said it. You know? <laughs> so in other words, look, we, a lot of the things that we might qualify as, as a certain type of goodness, you know, uh, look, I'm, I'm not like that. That's why Jerry Springer works, by the way. Uh, uh, Jerry Springer shows work because you get to have this enjoyment of saying, at least I ain't evil like that. Shoot, now that, that right there, that's stupid. All right, and, uh, and, and, and I'm not that, you know, so, boy, I enjoy it. I mean, you know, kind of enjoy the show, but not really, but I do. And so it's like, uh, uh, why do you call me good? And here's the big, the big thing is, it's over and against the true goodness, the one goodness, God himself. Only God is good. This is a regularly repeated refrain in Scripture. It's a way of saying to God be the glory. 
He is the one and only. No one else is like him. All right? And when we do have goodness, it's reflective. It's derivative. Only because God exists is there any goodness in the world. You know, I hate to use this example, but if we believe in hell at all, and I realize that could be kind of personal, but if you believe in hell at all, that will be, it is, it's unimaginable to us. We're so used to the goodness of God, uh, just bathing all of life, even, even amidst the evil. We're so used to God's generous goodness in all things. We can't imagine a kind of existence where in a certain way that was withdrawn. But that is what I think hell will be. So he loves, he loves this man, and he, he questions his definition of, uh, let me put it like this. Maybe this fellow felt that there was some boasting in the flesh. Like there, there was some people out there who were good, and Jesus like, you have, you know, I get what you're saying, perhaps. But let me question it this one time and just make sure you know what you're talking about. There is none good, actually, save God alone. To God be the glory. Then he, then he goes on, he says, you know, you, know, you, know, you know the commandments, right? And he says, oh, yeah. Now, uh, then he names about six of them. And then look at what the, the fellow says in reaction. He says, Lord, at the end of verse 20, Teacher, all these I have kept, I have kept these from my youth. What do you hear in his voice? Anybody want to, this is a sermon where I'm, you're allowed to respond, all right? What do you hear in his voice? Why, is, why does he react like that? Teacher, I have kept these from my youth. What kind of, what kind of reaction is that? Selfish, impatient, prideful. I think that's, yes, sir. Woo! I might like that one. The whiny. Whiny. All that's good, but whiny might be. You know, it's kind of it's like, I've been doing that. Now, you said he was an adult. Yeah, so you're an adult, you don't ever whine? All right, so uh, at least down in here, you know. <laughs> Now, what's my point? Like maybe, maybe he was, maybe he was like, uh, you know what I hear? Exasperation. I hear a fella who's like, I thought I knew what eternal life was, but there's an insecurity about it. You know, there's a foot tapping kind of like I'm, 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 un, I'm uneasy. You know, if I get too quiet. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. Well, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Since I was young. And that's when Jesus looks at him and loves him. Well, there is one thing that you lack. You know, another thing Jesus does to love us is he does share his law with us. The commandments of God are so important. You know what the commandments of God do? Well, they, they do point out our sin in a certain way. They point out our ways of drifting from God. Uh, St. Saint Augustine said this. He said that Christian love, excuse me, he said that faith or worship in Christianity is is the right ordering of our loves. Is our loves rightly ordered? And so, you know, like you might be like, I love my children. But then there's this quiet, but I really love my career. And can you see how it's possible that could be disordered? You know? And therefore, you know, or you might be like, I, I do love Jesus. I do. But then down deep, you're like, but I really love golf. I love fantasy football, crying out loud. Oh, I love traveling. Nothing sinful intrinsically about that unless there's a disorder, right? 
And uh, it, you see what I'm saying? So it's like uh, if, 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 if quietly I'm loving something the way God love the Lord thy God, right? Above all your heart, soul, mind. Excuse me, not above all your heart, soul. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the real deal, though. I'm a sinner. I just am. Even if I'm converted. And, and, and uh, so therefore, there's this uh, often this kind of waffle. You know, one thing I appreciate about this passage now, you know, hopefully there's a, uh, there's a, it waffles kind of like this, you know, on a, on an upper trend. If the, if the spirit is in a believer's life, you know, we might bob and dip a little bit, but it's still an overall upward trend of, of, of uh, drawing near to God and, and entering further into his kingdom and growing in our faith and everything else. But, but to say there's no, no this would just be disingenuous, all right? And so uh, one thing I'm encouraged about in this passage even is, in the middle of Mark, it's kind of, there's a, there's a, if you read, especially like Mark 8 through like 10, not just this rich young ruler, but the disciples themselves, they are really in some, they've been following Jesus since about chapter 2, chapter 2, but when you get to about chapters 6, 7, 8, especially 8, 9, and 10, the disciples are struggling. They have gotten to a place with Jesus where they are struggling. You know, uh, uh, Peter does a good thing. He says, you are the Christ, chapter 8. The son of the living God. And then three seconds later, or ten seconds, or two minutes later, he's like, no, it shall not be so with you. Just going to the cross thing. Nope. And he rebukes him. And then Jesus turns around and says, you know, you need to get your hand off me. No, he didn't say it that way. But he said, it says he rebuked him. Uh, get behind me, Satan. So he went from, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, to hey Satan, and then and I think and I think Jesus was kind of like hey Peter, I'm I'm not talking to you. I kind of am, but I'm not talking directly to you. But I'm kind of talking like through you at that thing, using you. <laughs> so right now Satan is talking through you, son. And, and here's what's interesting. He says, here's why he's talking through you, because all you have in mind are the things of men. Your mind is set on the things of men, and not on the things of God. That's not you and me sometimes. I mean, you just start thinking humanly. You know, pure human, no, no, no spirit, no reference to eternal things, no reference to the kingdom of God. That happens. You just, you drift. It, right, my wife told me not to say, everybody with me still? And I just said it. It came out. I was just about to say it. And I said, let me just acknowledge I was about to say it. And so, uh, you know, hi, I'm Ken, and I repeat myself. All right. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. I repeat myself, too. Hi, my name is Ken. I have a tick. All right, so um, I have a nervous tick. Now, um, why do you call me good? Uh, you know, one of the things that God's commandments do that are so loving for us is it guides us to the highest good. I think this is an excellent definition of love. Love is not just like, a, you know, affectionate outbursts or feelings. To it. it is. It includes that. But love is really like a persistent, ongoing pursuit of another's very highest well-being. I love you. And so I give you my commands. You know what command, the commands of God are at one level? They guide us away from lesser things that don't deserve such attention. They guide us away from things that have slotted into slots that are too high in our affections. Everybody, this makes some sense? The, the, the commandments say that's not worth it. God is good. You know what I'm saying? Only God is good. <laughs> to God be the glory. Amen? Let me go on to point number two. So he loved this man so much that he wouldn't trifle with him about his eternal welfare. And he helps him to understand his, some of his theological mistakes. Number two, he loved this man so much that he led him to the truth and beauty of God's law. I did kind of mention that. You lack, you lack one thing. You know, C.S. Lewis also said, love is something more stern and more splendid 
than mere kindness. Love is more stern and more splendid than mere kindness. Can I put it like this? Maybe than mere niceness. Niceness is a wonderful thing. Love is far deeper. Uh, One of my old mentors used to say, he said, hey, Ken, the gospel is good news, not always nice news. That's so important. Uh, Sometimes in in the gospel, we are told things that are very difficult. Christ was crucified for a reason. He was crucified for telling truth and for speaking what was truly good. But sometimes what was truly good offended our sinful sensibilities. And he gets crucified because he loved so much. He loved us so dearly. So he tells his fellows one thing lacking, and he, and he, he says, look, just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come follow me, you'll find treasure in heaven. Now, at this point, I think he started to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher uh, to, the man's, uh, to the man's ears. So the guy was like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's kind of like, okay, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have, give it away for the poor, my man, all my man heard was, give it all away. I'm sorry. You know, he's like, I, I just, I'm sorry. Faint, faint, fainting spell. Now, uh, uh, and Jesus like, hey, hey, bro, you sit with me? Now, and, uh, now, I think the way Jesus said it was like this. Oh, yeah, this is the easiest path. It makes total sense. All you got to do, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll find treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Jesus was very excited about this proposition. But he heard it a whole different <laughs> He heard it a whole different way. All right. He heard nothing past. Give it all away. This is not, uh, you know, we're often very quick to say this, by the way, so I want to be careful here. But this is not some carte blanche. Everybody must swear a vow of poverty and give all your material resources away. It certainly points to this, an aspect of our Christian worship that we ought to be generous and that it's possible and that in a certain sense God will demand all of us. He has given his all to us and there should be a nothing is mine at the end of the day, uh, a part of our faith. But uh, I think there's something particular to this man. That leads me to our, our third point. He loved this man so much that he led him to face the idols in his life. He loved this man so much that he led him to face the idols in, in his life. And maybe in his case, one of his idols was wealth. That's an easy idol. It's the one that can catch any, many of us, if not most of us. <laughs> he loved him so much that he led him to face it. He said, well, as a Christian, we, I have no idols. Oh, I beg to differ. All right. So uh, maybe you've read this scripture. I won't take you there for the sake of time. But maybe you've read this scripture in 1 John chapter 5. It ends the book of 1 John. I'm just going to read it to you. It's the very last verse. 1 John 5 and 21. And the whole time, Peter is, I'm sorry, John is talking to a group of believers. He calls them little children the whole book which is a way of speaking of a believing community. And he ends the book, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's kind of a way of saying, this is why I wrote this book. I I wrote this book of 1 John. I think we could say this about this passage. I wrote this book so that we could demarcate threatening idols in our faith journey. We could point them out. We could see them for what they are. And, uh, and Jesus challenges this fella to sell all that he has and to give it to the poor. Now, let me just point this out. It doesn't go well here. In verse uh, 21, what's the first, back in Mark, what's the, verse 22, what's the first word there? Very good. 
That's it. You got it. Mark, Mark 10, 22. The first word is disheartened by the saying. Disheartened by the saying. Let me mention this. The NIV translates disheartened as he went away sad. The NASB translates it as he was deeply dismayed. The word disheartened is a tough one to translate. It means something like he was shocked. He was dismayed or a very little translation. Watch this, y'all. Says his face went dark. You know, his face went dark or his face fell. His face went dark. You know, uh, I think I can say this. Uh, some of the old church fathers used to call our sin our shadow. The shadow. And sometimes the Lord in his goodness will press to the surface the remaining darkness. The remaining darkness. He'll point it out, but he does it in his love. He'll press it to its surface. But he does it, saints, in his love. Amen? Uh, uh, John said it like this. He says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. But if you confess your sins, well, when do I confess my sins? When they become evident to me. When I've seen them by the word of the Lord being proclaimed and by the spirit of God in his love, by the spirit of Christ in his love, pressing them uh, to the surface and helping me see. You shouldn't be surprised, y'all, that as a believer, there will be times where you are, even you, even I, that we face a, a face-falling moment where it's kind of like, I'm not sure I'm ready for this one. You know, when I signed up for Christianity, I don't think I was, I just, I didn't proceed all this. You know, the Lord is loving us in those moments. And he is there to keep us through them and to lead us through the light. I remember, you may not believe it, but I used to play basketball. I know you don't believe it. I can see it uh, on your face. I wasn't the best. I wasn't Pastor Leon. But, uh, but uh, I, did, I did play. I played a lot. I loved it. And uh, I learned something in basketball. I didn't, when we started training at the start of the season, you know, we'd go an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and I was exhausted. felt like I couldn't go another step. And then the coach would be like, all right, grab, grab some water. One-minute break, two-minute break. And then we would go back at it, not only after we got to a certain place of fitness and training, but we would go back at it, and I would feel like I had energy to run for the next two hours. And sometimes we did. And I'll add this. It was the greatest, one of the greatest feelings in the world. You might know it as that second wind. Is that Tammy? Hey. Good to see you, Tammy. I'm sorry. Uh, it took me a minute with your mask. So, uh, but... Uh, you might, it, it, uh, to, to find that second wind spiritually, sometimes the Lord will have moments with us like this. You know, kind of rich young ruler moments where as a coach, as a trainer, as a father who loves, as a mom nurturing her children, he might press us a bit. But why? So that we can discover new things about us. So that we can walk into new light. Amen. Finally, he, uh, he loves this man so much that he led him, my friends, he led him finally to himself. To himself. Come and follow me. The end of verse 21. Come and follow me. Now the sad part, uh, we, we've kind of said this in a few different ways, but Jesus himself, God himself, is the highest good. And if God's going to do anything for us, at the end of the day, he'll do all kinds of things for us. But if, if what is God's bottom line to bring us home to himself? Amen? Amen? What is eternal life, Jesus said? Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, verse 4 and 5. Come and follow me. Sometimes we don't understand Christ's rationale or why he permits this or why he leads in this way or that. It can be important for us to remind ourselves that what is he finally looking to do to bring us to himself? Now, this, this, uh, this story in, uh, comes to a, a really rough point here, and it kind of has a little uh, appendage. But the man walks out. You know, it's not like his face fell. Then he was like, okay, nope. Unfortunately, his face falls, and without a word, he walks out of the room. You know, we don't know what finally becomes of him, but the... The scene at this point is, is just sheer tra- is tragic. He seemed to have all sorts of promise, you know, from an outer view. But once Christ really looks to bring him in further, really looks to bring him to himself more directly, really looks to bring his face falls. And so this is a warning passage. And it's a difficult one. And the disciples respond like that. You know, they're astonished. And they asked the question, and we'll get ready to close with this. Who then can be saved? And I wish I could tell you that Jesus quickly dissipates the tension. He doesn't. Look at verse 27. And here we go again. Jesus looked at them. It's the same verb as when he looked at the man earlier with deep intent. He looks at them, assessing them. And he says... With man, it is impossible. (laughs) I wonder if he paused right there. With man, it is impossible. Man, Jesus, could you please uh, give a different passage to Brother Ken? All right? Because he's depressing. All right? So uh, through, through your words. But we got to face this. With man, my sisters and my brothers, the things that he is calling this man to from a human standpoint, from the position of human, what's that POV, from the point of view, of, from the human POV, am I using that right, folks? It's impossible. Maybe this is a lesson, and I'll say this and we'll get ready to draw to a near close. You see how carefully I said that? All right. But with man, it is impossible. Impossible. Uh, entering, coming to God like this cannot happen by human resource. It is by grace we are saved. Not of ourselves, lest any of us should boast. It's so important to note, my sisters and my brothers, that it is Christ who came down to us. It's not us who ascended to Christ. But the great aspect of the gospel is that God, at his initiative, and in his power, by the way, he's always like this, he looked on us, and he came down to us to speak to us. And he did this in his love. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. With man, it is impossible. Let me just go ahead and cut this tension, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible. A dunatos, impossible. That means Powerless for it to happen. Unable to do it. Dunatos. Powerful. Able. God is able. Amen? Now, the last thing I want to say is this. This is mentioned three times in, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark. One of them is back in chapter 9. When he says to the man who the demon won't come out of his Daughter, it's okay, believe, all things are possible with God. But the last place Jesus talks about how things are possible with God, I just want to take you there, is Mark 14. 
the 14th chapter of Mark. And this is very instructive to me. It's in Gethsemane. And only Mark uh, brings this up of all the Gospels. Mark chapter 14, and let's, we won't read all the story of Gethsemane, but you know, Jesus prays three times. And then finally, he comes to God in verse 36, and he says, Mark 14, 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. All things are possible for thee. You know, I think this is a way of saying this. Jesus cast himself on God. He cast himself on God. And the Bible says, it doesn't seem like it here, but the Bible says that in Gethsemane, Hebrews, Pastor Leon, in Hebrews 5, it says that he made all kinds of cries with weeping to God in Hebrews 5, 7. And it says he was heard. He was heard. You might say, well, he was crucified. It don't sound like he was heard. Well, he, he was heard not by being kept from crucifixion, but he was heard by being raised. He was heard by being raised. I guess I would ask you, which is greater? Sometimes God is good, and he will keep us from a thing. But sometimes God is so good that he will carry us and then raise us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us to hear its truth and to receive it. This is impossible from mere, the mere human side, but we don't have the mere human side. But with God, all things are possible. And Lord God, when our faces are tempted to go dark and to become disheartened, keep us. We give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. My brother said that uh, the Lord will carry us through, and it's a, a timely statement. Who is carrying you today? Is it your strength? Is it your will? Is it your might? Is it your education? Is it your job? Or is it the Lord? Every Sunday, we get an opportunity to come in and worship Christ, to celebrate Jesus and we get a chance to be transformed and to leave living for the Lord. We also get a chance to come in and leave the same. You can leave unimpacted. You can leave not acknowledging who God is. You can leave still carrying yourself. Today we want to offer you the opportunity to live a changed life. Not because I'm so smart or Pastor K is so smart, or any of us are so smart, but because we are foolish enough to believe that Jesus is worth following, that he's worth it all, and that we cannot carry ourselves. And so if you want to say today is going to be the day that I no longer try to carry it and do it on my own, I want to allow the Lord's strength to carry me Simply repeat after me, and you can do that in your seat. You can do that at home, online. You can do it with your lips not moving, but your heart moving. You can simply say this, Lord, I love you, and I believe you love me. And I know that things I've done or things I am doing break your heart. And that that is sin. But that you love me enough to step in and break my sinful patterns by dying on the cross so I could be freed from the power of sin. Now, I want to live for you and walk in that new freedom. Carry me, Jesus.
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, maybe the words were different, or, but, but if, if what came from you was the desire to submit to who God is, we want to celebrate you and celebrate what God has done, and we want to welcome you into this body. We want you to flourish, to thrive. We want to see you just on fire for the Lord. And if you are at home or if you're even here and you're like, man, I know God is real. I just said that prayer, but maybe it's elsewhere. And we, then we want to celebrate with, we want to see you grow in Christ. We want it to be here. We're a family for you. But if it's somewhere else, that's more important than you being at Mac Ave. You growing in Christ is what's of most importance. And so let us know. Let us know how we can walk with you, how we can celebrate you, and how we can spur you on to walking with the Lord. Amen? Amen. So I will be up front afterwards. Love for you to come forward and share with me. Uh, and Pastor Kay will be in the back. Um, and at this time, we're going to continue in our time of worship.